you got your Bibles, we are in Philippians. Philippians 2, verses 17 and 18. Appreciate Michael last week talking about how, you know, not only do we live the gospel, but we share the gospel. And now Paul brings it to this, really, what I'm going to suggest to you is one of the foundational pieces in all of Scripture for believers. It's in verse 17 and 18. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Now, I want to be really clear this morning because this is where sometimes people outside of faith and even people that are believers sometimes get confused on the difference between justification and sanctification. So, if I were to ask you, what is the foundational, fundamental call of Scripture to all people everywhere, what would you say? To believe. Perfect. Thank you. Is to believe in Jesus. The call of, the fundamental call of all Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, to all people, is that you have to believe in Jesus for salvation. Why? Because we can't do it ourselves. This is about justification. How do I get right with God? And the truth of Scripture is, you and I are not capable of doing that. That's why Jesus came. And so Jesus came and died on the cross to pay for our sins. Jesus paid it all. And all we have to do is put our trust and our faith in Christ. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to deserve it. All we do is have to believe. Let me give you some Scripture. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What's the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus that he came and died for us. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. I love Acts you kind of got to know the, the background of this. Acts 16, Paul was in jail. Remember, they're having a kind of a prayer meeting, hallelujah, bonfire there in the jail. There's, a, there's an earthquake. The jailer wakes up. He's about ready to kill himself. Paul says, don't harm yourself. He walks in and he asks Paul this question, what must I do to be saved? And to me, what's intriguing is what Paul didn't say. Paul didn't say, well, you need to go to church. Paul didn't say you need to get baptized. Paul didn't say you need to clean up your life. Here's what Paul said. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. John, when he writes his book about who Jesus is, says this. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believe and you'll have life in his name. Folk, that is the truth. That is the fundamental call of all Scripture to all people is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It, it, Jesus paid it all. It cost us nothing because Jesus paid it all. Are we all clear on that? That's justification. Now, a subset of everybody are those who do believe. 
those who accept Jesus, those who are born into family God. Now, again, today there's this idea out there that, you know, if you breathe, you're part of the family of God. That's not scripture. Scripture says you have to be born into his family. The Bible calls it born again. That comes by faith in Jesus. But for everybody who's been born into the family, for everyone who's come to faith in Jesus now, the idea is, and the foundational piece of all of this is this, that you and I are called to give ourselves wholly, completely, fully to following Jesus. Now again, to those that are outside, it is to believe in Jesus, justification. It comes as a free gift. To those of us who believe, who are saved, who are justified, now the call of Scripture becomes that you and I ought to give ourselves to following Jesus wholly, fully. In fact, what's interesting, when Jesus talked about it, and then Paul talks about it, they use different pictures, different metaphors. For instance, when Jesus talks about this, he uses the picture of a prisoner who's condemned to death. And in Matthew, it says this. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, again, this wasn't the big crowds. This were those who believed in him. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus' picture is this. It is of a condemned criminal. Take up your cross. What rights does a condemned criminal on his way to death have? The answer is none. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to act like that. That's got to be your mindset. Paul picks up that same picture of death. And he uses the idea of us dying to self and now living for Christ. Think of Galatians 2.20. He says, for I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I died. This isn't about me anymore. But now that I live, I live for Jesus. I love the way Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5. It's not as well known, but what a powerful verse. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. The old King James, it says, constrains us. I like that word, constrains us. Because we concluded this, that since one died for all, we were all dead. And now that he died for us, now that we live, we don't live for ourselves, but we live for him who died and rose from the grave. That is the call of our life. That is the call. If you know Jesus as your Savior, the call of God upon you is sanctification, to become like Jesus. How do you get there? You get there by dying to self, living to Christ. You get there by denying yourself and taking up your cross every day and following Jesus. It's, Lord, wherever you call me to go, whatever you call me to do, I mean, think of the picture that Paul uses in Romans chapter 12. It's that picture of being a sacrifice. Remember 12, Romans 12, 1? 
I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, acceptable God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I mean, the idea is, is you know, the, the altar... There's the sacrifice, and they would take the knife, and they would slay the lamb or the goat or whatever it is. His whole point is, is that you and I crawl up on the altar, and we give the knife to God, and we say, here I am. You have a right to me. You got a right to my dreams. You got a right to my goals. You got a right to my time. You got a right to my hobbies. You got a right to my family. You got a right to my resources. It, it all belongs to you. So wherever you tell me to go, I'll go. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. Because you're the one that's in control here. And that's exactly the picture that he's using here in verse 17. He says, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Th this is the picture that he's doing here. He say, but Steve, that's hard. And, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to give up control. It's hard to say, Lord, here it is. I can remember when I was first really confronted with this truth in my own soul. I was, I was a high school student. You know, for those of us who, that's in the rearview mirror. Remember what it was like to be a high school student? Man, you, you got the world by the tail, right? Man, all of life's in front of you, all of the, the great things that are there, and man, how are you going to set the world on fire? To be honest with you, I loved the Lord. I was following, wanting to follow after Him. In fact, the truth is, I wanted to preach but I started wrestling with this of, you know, my life has to belong to God. And, and so I'm saying, Lord, I, I want to be fully surrendered to you. You know, my life's a living sacrifice. Here's the knife. And he, he used it. And he began to look at those areas of my life that I wanted surrendered to him. But the truth of the matter was I still kind of had to control because, first of all, I wanted to preach. And, and, and to be honest with you, you're a preacher. You don't want to preach to a little group of people. You want to preach to, to big crowds. In fact, it's, it's the conflict that we always have. I like every seat to be full. But when I sit out there, I don't like people next to me. So I, you know, I, I understand that conflict. So that's why we always try to have more chairs than we have people. But if it was up to me, we don't have enough chairs for people. I like them all full. And I want big crowds. And the Lord said, well, Steve, what if that's not what I want for you? When I was on SMI, when I was in high school, we ministered in churches down in rural, rural, you know, Smoky Mountains, North Carolina, down into Georgia. And, you know, on a good Sunday, I have 10 or 15 people there. Steve, what if that's where I want you to go and to preach and to serve? Are, are you going to, you willing to do that and to do that with, with joy? And that's tough. And then by the time I get ready to say, okay, God, that's what you want, I'll do that. Then it's, well, what if I don't want you to preach at all? What if what, if what I want you to do is just to, to be there and to support those that are doing ministry and, and your job is just simply to come in before and after to sweep floors and put chairs up and down and that's how you best can serve me. Are, are you okay with that? Man, it's tough. 
I remember over those months, I just wrestled it over, and, and each time God would bring something up, I'd say, okay, God, it's okay. I, I want to belong to you. But here's the thing I found. It's not like a one time, and I come to that point, and now it's good forever. It's kind of an everyday thing, right? Jesus said, you have to die yourself daily. Take up your cross. So, you know, get married and now I've got kids and it's okay, God, you, you know, if you want to call my child and take them to the mission field, that's okay. And that was easy when they're small and then they grew up and they have grandchildren and now that's really hard to say. Yeah, yeah, they can go and they can take my grandkids. But that's what I'm called to do to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. God, wherever you tell me to go, I'll go. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. I mean, I gotta be honest with you this morning. You know, I, I love the Lord Jesus. I love my wife. I love my family. But I tell you, the next passion in my life is Desert Springs. I've been so blessed that for 25 years, God has allowed me to, to shepherd and to pastor this church and to work in partnership with, with you all. And it's just been great. And my hope and my prayer is God will let me be here all my ministry, but I, and I, don't, I, don't, you know, I don't want you to get nervous and I don't want you to get excited. I'm leaving. I'm not going anywhere. The best I understand, I wasn't out candidating. I was on vacation. But the point is, if I'm a living sacrifice and I have to be willing to say to God, God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. And as hard as that might be, that's what I have to, it doesn't mean God will ask me to do it, but I have to be willing. That is the picture there. His picture here is I'm being poured out as a drink offering. And what's interesting, when you go into the Old Testament and you look at the significance of that, the first time we see it is Jacob is running from Esau. And remember, he goes there to Bethel, and, and, and there that night, God meets him in a dream. And in the morning, he builds a pillar and he pours out a drink offering. That's the first that we see of it. But then when we start getting into the Old Testament, the, the um, burnt offerings and the sacrificial offerings, we read about a drink offering that was offered with it. So they put the meat on the altar. And, and, and then as it's burning, they would pour this, the, the wine on it to create this big cloud of smoke and the, the idea of it ascending to heaven and it's poured out there. And this what Paul's trying to say is my life is being poured out. Now some people have thought he's maybe talking about death because he uses the same picture in 2 Timothy 4 but I don't think so because in chapter 1 you remember he says okay I may go home I may stay here but I think I'm going to stay here I don't think that's his point. I think his point is yeah I'm here under house arrest and yet I'm serving Jesus and all of Caesar's households getting saved and then when I was there with you guys at Philippi I was beaten and thrown into jail but I shared the gospel you know my life is being poured out as a sacrifice I'm going where he tells me to go I'm doing what he's telling me to do and I think that's the whole point of what he's calling us to folk for those of us who know Jesus the foundational call of all the scripture is that you and I would wholly fully follow after Jesus no reserves, no retreat. It's God, here I am. I'll go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. You have a right to everything in my life. That's what we're called to. 
And what's interesting here is that Paul talks about the partnership of this. He says, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, upon what? The sacrifice and service of your faith. See, Paul's point here is, is okay, I'm giving my body as a living sacrifice here, but you guys are too. You there in Philippi, you're living in a time of persecution. And yet, in a time where you're going through difficult times, and yet you're serving the Lord too. In fact, you took up an offering to send it to me. And then you sent your pastor, who you love, to minister to me. And you also are in this point. And folk, I tell you what, there is such synergy. Not just amongst believers, but amongst believers who have come to that point of being fully committed to following Jesus no matter the cost. And there is, there is such a an unique camaraderie, a, a partnership. You, you see it when you get to travel overseas and, and, and you see these people serving the Lord and there's such a bonding of your heart together. Because here's the thing, folk. One person completely sold out, one person completely surrendered to the will of God, man, it's powerful. God will do a lot. But when you get a community of people who are all at that same place, God, wherever you ask us to go, we'll go. Whatever he asks us to do, we'll do. Whatever he asks us to give, we'll give. It, man, it's monumental. It, it, it becomes that peace that years later you'll look back on and you'll go, man, that was such a special time. That was such a special place. That, that was the good old days. And I've been privileged to be a part of three church communities where I've seen that happen. I think back to my days at Church of the Open Door, and there was about a 10 to 15 year period there where not only did I attend, but for seven of those, I got to be the youth pastor. And it was a community of people going through a difficult time. I mean, it was 22% unemployment, but people gave and it, people witnessed and people shared their faith and people invested in kids to go to ministry and, and do, do mission trips. And it was just this unique period of time. And, you know, through my dad's death, we reconnected with folk from all across the country. I mean, we're talking 40 years ago. They go, you know, the most significant and seminal moments of my spiritual life began in those days. Like I counted out, you do know, Every believer is called to full-time service, right? It's what we're talking about. We're all called to full-time. We're not all called to vocational service, to be a pastor or a missionary. We're all called to full-time service. But I counted up, and there's something like 50, 60, 75 people that today are in vocational ministry. They're missionaries. They're, they're pastors. They're leading ministries that came out of that period of time. It was monumental. Then think back to some of the early days when we were at Palmcroft and this church came together and, and focused on the idea of, of sharing the gospel and seeing people come to faith in Christ. And the church grew from 500 to over 2,000. And again, you run into them and they look back at that time in the late 80s, early 90s as that seminal moment where God, in fact, we were speaking up at a camp in Montana and there's a couple there and they look back to that time being there just for that little window that God really set their hearts on fire. And I think about Desert Springs and, you know, those, we, we started out with a little band of 55, but I think that community grew 
grew into about 120 in this heart of God. What do, what do you want us to do and how can we serve? And the reality is back in those days, you wouldn't come to Desert Springs unless you came to work because there were just so many holes to fill. And people came and they worked and they served and they gave. And I remember those dinner theaters we did that took literally 60% of our church to put on to see people come to faith in Christ. And I think about how when we moved to Litchfield Park back in 04 and 250 of us and all of a sudden we begin to grow and bust at the seams and the heart of the people to give and to serve and to work and many of you started coming during that time and then when we moved here to this facility in 07 and it's the same thing and, and, and the heart uh, and the the synergy that happened between people that were walking by faith and just said, God, where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? And, and folks, so part of what I'm struggling with right now is the question about today. First of all, on a personal level, have you, are you and I saying, God, here I am. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll give what you want me to give. Uh, have, we fully, have we climbed up on the altar and handed God the knife and said, God, I'm yours. And then are we that then collectively as a community that, God, you can use us however you want? And I think about, you know, this 1250 goal. And I think, man, what does God want to do within our community, reaching this community with the gospel in these next couple of years? To open doors he's given us to Western Sky and Millennium. And here, what does God want to do that 20, 30, and 40 years that people will look back and say that this was that moment of the most seminal spiritual moments in their life. It happens when there's a community of believers that just says, God, here I am. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. You want me to take evangelism training? I don't like to talk, God, except on the phone to my friend, but that's okay. All right, God, I'll take, I'll go train. You want me, you want me to go on a mission trip? I'll go. You know, when we say that we're willing, it doesn't mean that God will tell us or ask us to do it. But our heart has to be, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. And then lastly, let me finish with this. Because he mentions a joy here. He says, I rejoice, end of verse 17, and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. You know, honestly, there's just simply a joy in serving Jesus. When, when you wholeheartedly give yourself to the Lord and follow after him and do what he asks you to do, man, it's just exciting. I mean, there's a sense of purpose getting up every day. There's a sense of excitement that God is using me. It's, a, it's an exciting thing. It's a, it's a cool thing. But when you are doing it in this point of, God, I am your sacrifice. I am your servant. Man, I am taking up my cross. I'm following you wherever you want to go. The joy is incredible because the joy is tied to peace. You see, when, I'm, when I love Jesus, because you know, I'm his child and I love him, right? But I'm still kind of controlling my life and, and I'm, you know, I'm thinking about some things here and I'm thinking about some things there and, you know, but, but I'm in charge then where does all the worry, where does all the stress fall? It falls on me. 
And when things come into my life, I wasn't anticipating for my life. And then the worry, how is it going to all work out and all of this. But when you and I have climbed up on the altar and we've given the knife to God and we say, I'm yours, then guess what? It's not on me. He's the one who's in control. He's the one who's working on my life. So whatever he's brought into my life, he wants to use it, right? And whatever happens tomorrow... He knows all about it, and he's preparing me for what I need to learn. There's a peace that comes there. And I think you think of Paul, who's under house arrest. We looked at this in chapter 1. He can't be out preaching, and yet he's got that Roman guard there. Every four hours, he's sharing Jesus. The Praetorian guard's coming to faith in Christ, Caesar's own household. He said, man, in this I rejoice, and I will rejoice. It's the beauty, the joy that comes because there's a peace because we know who's in control. And then you start thinking about the community piece of that because it's not just with, from within, but now it's other people around you and they're telling their stories. And, and we hear about Mission Church and eight people getting baptized and we rejoice in that and, and what God is doing there. And, and so the joy not only comes from within me, the purpose, the meaning, the peace I have, but I see it, what God's doing in other people's lives as they are fully devoted to him. So here comes back that question. The question is, as a child of God, as one who has been saved by grace through faith, have I surrendered to fully, wholly, completely follow Jesus? Am I taking up my cross and saying, God, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you ask me to do, I'll do. I think that probably, at least in my life, there was kind of that initial time where I had to kind of work through this and I just and he kept bringing things to mind until finally everything that I knew of was surrendered to him. But, but it happens now on a daily basis. And is that our heart? Have we, have we processed that? Have we told them, God, here, here I am. You've got the knife. God, whatever you want to do to make me more like Jesus. That's his call. Now, you say, well, Steve, I'm not there. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean God doesn't like you. <laughs> doesn't mean God's mad at you. No, it just means he's going to be working on this even more. Because he knows that's what's best for you. He's trying to make you like Jesus. And you can't get to be like Jesus who was fully surrendered to the Father's will until you and I will climb up on the altar voluntarily and say, here I am. Here I am. So he's probably going to tell your pastor to keep preaching these kind of sermons, right? He's probably going to keep pulling these things out as you're reading scripture. Because he wants you to become like Jesus.